Good morning, everybody. I'm Will, the curate. Happy Father's Day. We're going to start with a prayer. Father, thank you so much that we're gathered here this morning. And Lord, we need you. We need to know you as Father. We need to know you as Dad. And Lord, we want to bring our knees to you this morning. And we pray that you would meet with us and reveal yourself to us this morning as Father. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're continuing to work our way through Isaiah 61. And our verses this morning are a promise to the Israelites of restoration and a return to the land after their exile in Babylon. Instead of their shame, they would receive a double portion and would rejoice in their inheritance from the Lord. They had carried this shame for years. God had been their father. He had called the nation his son, but they'd rejected him as father and worshipped other false gods. And now they were dealing with the shame of having lost everything, of having been conquered and their temple raised and their treasures stolen and their people led into slavery by pagans. But here Isaiah has brought a beautiful promise of restoration. Their inheritance would be restored and they would get back twice what they had before. Sometimes I think Israel represents humanity, that cycle of sin and shame and restoration that they went through several times over. It's an echo of the wider human story. Like the nation of Israel, We didn't start with shame. We started with the call to sonship. Adam was a son of God, Luke 3.38. Adam and Eve were both children of God and they were clothed in honor and glory. Sonship was their identity and the glory was their covering. And at the very end of Genesis chapter two, the creation account reaches its climax. And what was the pinnacle of creation? What was the high point of God's masterpiece? Well, it wasn't the galaxies or the waterfalls or the wildlife. It was us knowing no shame. They knew no shame. It was the climax of the creation story. But sin came in and afterwards Adam and Eve looked down at themselves. They saw they were naked and they felt shame. Their vision of themselves became tainted by sin. When you see yourself through the eyes of sin, then shame will enter in. And shame always Wars, it wars against our God given identity. It makes us feel dirty and worthless and defective. Shame tells us there's something wrong with us. It challenges and changes how we how we see ourselves and it shapes everything we do. When shame entered in, Adam and Eve immediately wanted to cover it. So they made garments out of fig leaves. Shame caused them to cover who they are. And this happens to us as well. Shame wars against our identity so we try to cover ourselves with fig leaves of our own making with achievements with success and we flee from intimacy when Adam and Eve heard the father coming they fled they hid from him because shame makes you want to hide it keeps you in the shadows and in my experience shame is the biggest inhibitor of us having the confidence to come into the manifest presence of God It stops us just like it stopped Adam and Eve from walking with the Father in the cool of the day. 
the Holy Spirit gave me a picture many, many years ago of a person going into heaven and coming before the Father's house, this glorious mansion with, you know, shining with the Father's glory. And this person wanted to come into the Father's house, so he, he reached forward in the, in the picture, and he was just about to touch the door handle when he heard a voice from inside himself. And the voice said one word, it said, worm. It said the word, worm. And he was startled and he withdrew his hand from the, uh, the door handle and he backed away and he, he never entered in. He never entered into the father's house, even though he could have done. I learned a lot from that picture. The word worm, the voice that said worm, is the voice of shame. And shame makes us self-sabotage. We don't come into the light because we don't want our shame to be exposed. Shame makes us anticipate rejection and punishment. If you believe you're a defect, you'll expect to be cast away. So instead, we hide from God and we hide from each other. And because shame warps our identity, it keeps us locked into sin. Because we will always manifest who we truly think we are. As a man thinks in his heart, so he is. Proverbs 23, 7. If shame becomes your identity, then sin will be your overflow. Humanity has had to grapple with this thing called shame from the beginning. And our shame was also compounded by our rejection from Eden, from the direct presence of the Father. When Adam and Eve became fatherless, we all became fatherless. We developed a father wound at our core. We became spiritually orphaned from God. And this is why the Father sent Jesus. When Jesus read these very verses of Isaiah 61 in that synagogue in Nazareth, he was prophesying what he had in store for us. He was going to take our shame on that cross and bring us back into sonship. This is what the phrase double portion means in this passage double portion means sonship. Under the law of Moses, firstborn sons were given a double portion of their father's inheritance. You'd get twice the inheritance, double blessing and great favor. Israel itself as a nation was called God's firstborn among the nations. They were treated as God's son, highly favored and chosen for a lavish inheritance. And in the new covenant, Jesus is described as the firstborn son and heir of all things. He was the highly favored son of God, chosen to inherit all that God had created, chosen for the double portion. And it is this very thing, this, this firstborn sonship, this great favor that Jesus brings us into. Galatians 3.26, for in Christ Jesus you are all, all of you, sons of God. Scripture says we are predestined for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. We are blessed with every heavenly blessing in Christ. We are co-heirs with Christ. Jesus brings us into his double portion of blessing, honor, and glory as firstborn sons. When we get him, we get everything, which is why the church is described in Hebrews 12 like this. It says, you have come to the church of the firstborn. That's firstborn, plural, that's us. We are all, men and women, the firstborn of God through Christ. We can stand before God with no shame 
as sons and daughters clothed in glory, clothed in honor. This is the Father heart of God. This is the goodness of our heavenly dad. There's a great illustration of this in 2 Samuel 9, which tells the story of Mephibosheth. And uh, he was the son of Jonathan, and he was the grandson of King Saul. And when Saul and Jonathan were killed in battle, he was just a small child, and his fam- as his family fled, his nurse dropped him, and he became lame in his feet. And he grew up under the shadow of his past. Mephibosheth was carrying generational shame from what happened to his family. His grandfather Saul had been rejected by God as king for his disobedience. He'd led the Israelites into a terrible defeat in battle, and he died a shameful, unsightly death. The Philistines cut off Saul's head, and they hung his naked, bleeding body on the outside of the walls of their city. Imagine if that was your grandfather. His father Jonathan also died in that battle, making Mephibosheth an orphan And his whole family line was rejected by God from the kingship in favor of David. So Mephibosheth lost his royal inheritance. He had to bear the shame of that rejection and the shame of his injury to his feet. There's nothing wrong with being lame, but in that culture you would often be wrongfully shamed for your injuries. There were so many sources of shame in his life. And shame causes hiding. So Mephibosheth moved to the most obscure town he could find called Lodibar, which in Hebrew means no pasture, nothing there, a place of obscurity and poverty, the backside of nowhere, a place of shame. And he was living in another man's house because despite his royal lineage, he had nothing. He was completely dependent on others and he was hiding where he thought he could never be found, where he couldn't be seen, bearing his shame in the darkness the man who could have been king. It's a parable for humanity as a whole. We could have been kings. But like humanity, Mephibosheth was not entirely forgotten. When David became king, he was moved by God to show kindness to the house of Saul for his friend Jonathan's sake. And so he searched for a descendant of Jonathan that he could bless, and they managed to find Mephibosheth hiding in Lodibar, and they bring him before King David where he cowered anticipating death. Shame always anticipates punishment. But David had other plans and he welcomes Mephibosheth and shows him kindness and gives him an inheritance. And he gives him all the lands of King Saul, his grandfather. They were all restored to him. That's a vast inheritance. Lands, servants to farm the land. Eventually a wife came along too. And on top of this, he was invited to eat from David's own royal table, just like one of David's own sons. So Mephibosheth got his inheritance and he got a double portion. He got to eat from David's royal table as well as a son. He was no longer an orphan and David became like a father to him. He was still lame in his feet, but his lameness was covered by David's love. Mephibosheth did nothing, he did absolutely nothing to earn any of these immense blessings, this restoration. It was just the father heart of God working through David. The name Mephibosheth in Hebrew actually means the end of shame, the end of shame. 
Years later, um, Mephibosheth went on to have a son called Micah, and in Hebrew, Micah means, who is like God? Who is like God? When we encounter the abundance of our father, it gives birth to wonder. Mephibosheth knew what God had done for him. He was overwhelmed by the goodness of his heavenly father, and it marked everything he birthed. When we have a revelation of the goodness of our heavenly dad, it will mark everything we birth in our lives. And we will say, who is like God? Who is like our father? So this is what we are invited into. The father wants to destroy our shame and lead us into sonship. He wants to take us from Lodibar, the land of shame and no pasture, and bring us to his table at his house where we can receive that double portion of blessing as his firstborn sons and daughters. Here, our lameness is covered by his love. There's no need here to prove ourselves to our heavenly dad. There's no shame or hiding at his table, just the endless depths of the father's affection, a lavish banquet of grace. So we can say like Mephibosheth, who is our God? Who is this father that we have? And the answer is there's there's no one like him. There's no one like our God. He's the perfect father. That's his nature. And at his table, we learn to feast on the depths of his goodness. And it's a royal feast. It's a royal inheritance. Our father is the source of all true royalty, and he bestows that royalty upon us. Kings dine with kings. But to access the fullness of this heavenly reality, this feast, you have to know who you are. Beware self-sabotage. Beware self-sabotage. The goodness of God for many of us can be hard to believe and hard to receive. When David told Mephibosheth how greatly he would bless him, he initially responded by saying, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? He wasn't even a dog, he was a dead dog. Shame had warred against his identity until he saw himself as a dead dog. He could not envisage receiving such blessings. And this is what shame does. It distorts our perception of who we are until we can't receive the goodness of our Father. You can't enjoy all God has for you until you realize how valuable and worthy you are in his sight. You can't live in abundance if you're stuck in shame, stuck in Lodabar, the land of no pasture, the land of hiding. If you agree with the word worm, you will self-sabotage. So watch out for that miserable worm mentality that can creep into some parts of Christianity. I believe it's straight from hell. It's a religious spirit masquerading as humility rooted in our own feelings of self-condemnation, shame and punishment that assaults our identity and limits what we can receive from God. If you think you're a dog like Mephibosheth, you'll expect nothing from God but crumbs Dogs get crumbs. Slaves get scrapings. Servants work hard for a wage. You do something, you get something in return. But sons and daughters get the full inheritance. You can't earn it. It's just given to you because of who you are as a firstborn child of God. So who are you? Who are you? What does your heart really believe about who you are? Are you a dog, a slave, a servant, 
or a son or daughter of God? Do you expect scraps or is all of heaven open to you? Do you live in the Father's house or are you stuck all the way back in Lodibar? I remember sitting on my sofa eight years ago and out of the blue, I heard God ask me that same question, who are you? Who are you? And I pulled a complete blank. Didn't have an answer, I went quiet. And um, over the following months and years, God started to pull back the covers over my own lack of identity and he put his finger on the root causes of my own shame and my propensity to try to cover that shame with the fig leaves of my own striving and performance for God and others. And I had to learn to receive the gift of sonship. One step, one slow step at a time, asking God to father me, seeking God's heart, asking the Father, how do you see me, Lord? But it's still very much a journey. I've got my sonship L plates on. But each year I catch just a little bit more of a glimpse of what we are being invited into, and it is glorious. I've learned that there is not a single day in our lives where a banquet is not laid out before us in the spirit, but it takes confidence in who you are to take your seat at the table. You want to access the resources of heaven? Come to the table and receive the double portion You want to grow in hearing God's voice? Come to the table and lean towards him. You want to access joy? Come to the table. Because scripture says pleasures are at God's right hand forevermore. And in his presence is fullness of joy. You want to grow in intimacy with God? Then come to the table and sit on the father's lap as his child. This is what we're invited into an abundant inheritance from our heavenly dad freely given and at the center of it all relationship with the father friendship with the father an invitation to walk with the father to talk to the father to share our hearts with the father and to experience his heart the father's heart and he is so loving so kind so generous so good so wonderful so glorious and so lovely that it's enough to make you forget about the food before you You just want to be with him and hear him say, my child, I love you. My child, I love you. This was the experience of Mephibosheth. Years after he was given his double portion, David was was then driven out of Jerusalem by his son Absalom and Mephibosheth stopped eating and he didn't cut his hair because he was mourning deeply for David's absence. And a man called Ziba, who had previously looked after Saul's estate before it had been given to Mephibosheth. He slandered Mephibosheth to David and said he wasn't wasn't loyal to David. He hadn't been loyal in the war. But it was a lie. Ziba just wanted his lands back. And uh, and David wasn't sure who to believe. So he just said, look, divide the lands between you. Quite an injustice. But listen to what Mephibosheth said in response. He said, Ziba can have all of it. Not just half, he can have all of it. He can have my whole inheritance. I'm just happy that David is returning to Jerusalem. All of that land, the blessings, the abundance, the servants, 
It all meant nothing to Mephibosheth in comparison with his love for the man who had become like a father to him. We're all given access to the banquet, but it's worth nothing compared to the privilege of knowing him as father. Even the greatest blessings of God diminish beside him. He'd give the whole double portion back if only to stay close to his heart. Let Ziba have it all. I'm only pleased I get to be with my father. I just want him. He's enough for me. The father's love is enough. Do you know the father's love? Is the father's love enough for us? We learn more about this journey from shame to sonship in the parable of the prodigal son. You'll all be super familiar with this story. The younger son rebels against his father, takes his inheritance, wasted on sinful living, and then finds himself in the pig pen, feeding the pigs covered in pig's mud. And pigs were unclean animals to the Jews, so the, pig, the pigs would represent shame, the mud would represent shame. And then the younger son reaches breaking point and he traipses home to his father covered in that mud of shame, head bowed, avoiding eye contact because shame doesn't do intimacy and anticipating punishment because shame anticipates punishment. So when he gets there to his father, he says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me a servant. Shame wars against sonship. Shame made him question his sonship. So with no sense of identity or worth left, he thought he'd have to earn his worth as a servant. He didn't understand his father's love. But the father runs to him and embraces him and kisses him. And you know, if you hug a person who's covered in mud, that mud is gonna stick on you, it's gonna stick on your own clothes. So his father took that mud. God took that shame onto himself. And instead of punishing his son, he gives him a robe of honor, covering his shame and gives him the ring and the family shoes and he restores his identity as a son. And the fattened calf is slain so the younger son can come in and enjoy the feast in the father's house. The party he was looking for was at home all along. And so he was restored from shame to sonship. And as Christians, we've all come to God with our mistakes and received forgiveness. I've never met a Christian who has not walked that prodigal path back to the father in some way or other. We come to him, we receive the embrace, we receive the mercy. We receive forgiveness. And then the father turns around to reach for the ring and the robe and the shoes, all those items of sonship. He gathers them up in his arms and he, and he turns back to give them to us. But we're gone. We've vanished. We're not there anymore. So the father cries out like in Eden after Adam and Eve vanished, where are you? I've got all these items to give you. Where have you gone? I've just forgiven you. Some of us run straight back into the pig's mud time and time again. If you don't deal with your sense of shame, it will lead you straight back into the mud. We often choose our environment based on how we feel about ourselves. If we think we're innately dirty, we will gravitate towards more dirt. Yet many of us join the older son out in the fields of toil where we try to work for our worth like a servant. 
We think forgiveness is free, but that we have to earn the rest from God. But it's such a lie because the whole banquet is by grace. So joining the older son is a huge mistake. He had the same orphan heart the younger son had. It just manifested differently. He didn't understand the love of his father either. That's why in this parable, the older, um, the older son complains to the father that he hadn't even been given just a little goat to enjoy with his friends. He wasn't given a goat because he didn't ask for the goat. And he didn't ask for the goat because he didn't think he was worth the goat. He didn't have enough identity to even receive that blessing. The father tried to tell him, all I have is yours. But shame blocked his heart from hearing and he refuses to come inside. He was convinced he had to stand at a distance, keep his distance and earn love, work hard to earn love. And when he saw the grace given to his younger brother, he was scandalized. So he refuses to come inside and he becomes the prodigal son in the story. Many of us come to God and we receive forgiveness. We've all experienced that. But then we never enter into the house to enjoy the feast. That's not where we dwell each day. That's not our reality. We feel far more comfortable nursing our shame at a distance, either in the mud or in the fields of toil trying to earn love, different sides of the same orphaned heart. So my encouragement this morning is don't run off. If you want to experience what the younger son eventually experienced of the father, then learn to wait in the father's presence and let him tell you who you are. Let him place those items upon you one by one. Receive your sonship slowly and carefully. Let it enter your hearts. Listen to those words. This is my son, my daughter, whom I love and with whom I'm well pleased. Make yourself comfortable in that robe, that mantle of sonship. Grow into those family shoes where the ring received the father's embrace until your sense of identity is so full and so glorious that you can push past the shadows of the doorway, you can ignore that voice of shame crying worm at you, you can open the door, cross the threshold and make the Father's house your home and your daily experience of God. Identity leads to intimacy. The younger son had to get those robes of sonship, he had to be taken from shame to sonship before he could really enter in and dwell in the Father's house. We have to go from worm to worthy before we can fully experience the Father and all he has for us. Sonship is the key to all of heaven's abundance. It's a calling to know the Father and it brings us to his house. And all we have to do is have the confidence in who we are to turn the door handle.